Welcome back to Small Town Missing. I'm Thomas. I'm Will. And I'm Rhonda. And before we get into this episode, I just wanted to thank you all once again for listening and making this so much fun to do. Uh, please continue to listen and like, share and, and uh, check out our Instagram. It should be uh, RTW's Wild History Ride. It should be in the show notes. Should, should. Yes. I, I went back and put it in all the show notes. Okay, great. <laughs> Rhonda's like, awesome. I got this. Yeah, yeah. But it, Don't, it's yeah, blame me. To the the mediary we use between us and all the podcast sites is supposed to put it in. Oh, really? Because we have set up for it, Uh supposedly. But I don't think it does. Well, shoot, as long as they're on every podcasting streaming platform, I'm fine with that. Yes. But please share, get the word out, and let's get into the episode. Okay, so you're looking at me again. That yes, always I, happens it, every time. I think it's becoming a thing. I, yes. Listen, I, I take it every time. I, I feel like we, uh, me and Thomas, we always say something about, thank y'all for listening. Oh, Rhonda, we're going to pass it over to you. Yeah, I it, don't mind doing narration. At, at this point, I am com- comfortable just being the producer. I'm fine. Well, we want you to chime in. I, ch- I chime in almost every episode. I know. I said, you're kind of quiet sometimes over there. Yeah. Sometimes I'm checking Instagram. <laughs> yeah, joking. sometimes he's checking I'm Instagram. Joking, but no, I, sometimes I'm just listening and thinking. I listen all the time, Rhonda. I should be your favorite, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm her actual kid. True, true, true. <laughs> Will is other other child. I'm adopted kid at this <clears throat> point, you yep, know? He is. Yeah, but I'm I'm her only biological kid. Very true. That we know I, of. <gasps> I don't think I don't think there are any hidden <laughs> children Rhonda, out there. That would be difficult to pass like, on her deathbed, but she's like, no. you have two sisters. So I, I get to be the favorite regardless because I'm the only one. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> oh, okay, well, you do have a brother. He's a stepbrother. I know. No, but... half-brother, but oh, he's, yeah, my, yeah. he's yeah. my half-brother. He's your stepson. I was like, yeah, oh, my yeah. God. I, don't, I didn't know no. about this one. Your no, step. no, no, no. Confession no. time, right? Oh, no, my God. He's, <laughs> he's my half-brother, her stepson. Confessions of Rhonda, her newest podcast. <laughs> so I get to be the favorite, and he knows it. <laughs> we we share dad. We, we're okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let me get started then on this. Amy Billig, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, B-I-L-L-I-G, Billig, was 17 years old when she went missing from Coconut Grove, Florida in 1974. And I'm sorry, I didn't even think about it until now. I really should have looked that up as to where Coconut Grove is. I'll look it up for you. Would you you like me to look it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, If you you guys don't mind. Coconut Grove. Florida. And I assume it's probably down, probably close to Miami. That's my thought. And that's just because in the back of my mind. It sounds like a panhandle, like close to the water type of place to me. It sounds like a pretty cool place. Coconut Grove. That sounds relaxing. Oh, it's a neighborhood in Miami. Okay. So Miami, I was right. So big, big, big place. Well, we'll go with Coconut Grove, though, because that's, you know, the premise of the show is small towns. Yes. We'll we'll stick with Coconut Grove. (laughs) But 1974 is when she went missing, and Amy lived in Coconut Grove with her parents, Ned and Susan, and her younger brother, Josh. She was last seen hitchhiking on Main Highway in Coconut Grove on March 5th on her way to her father's office. Now, another source said she's on her way to her father's art studio. Hmm. So, I don't know. I just wanted to... To put that out there in case anyone was going through show notes and pulled up a source and did see that, that uh, a little bit different from office. Yeah, I've, I've heard some people call office and like art, you know, like a studio type of thing. Like maybe well, the same he could have had too. an office inside the, the studio. studio. Yeah, or something. Yeah, could have. It, it could just be the same thing. Could have. Yeah. And, and I, I don't. I wouldn't say this is necessarily a factor, but this is 1974, and Amy was hitchhiking 
which is not unusual for the 70s. No, normal. But, you know, maybe just I'm thinking about, I don't know about the family, but if her father had an art studio, maybe that they were just a little more relaxed and not like we are these days where, you know, we're certain, we're definitely watching our children all the time. Yeah, you, know, you got to. And the 1970s, of course, were a little bit different. And uh, uh, do- Yeah. Yeah, donut, uh, donut, uh, dough. Network refers to Amy as a flower child, so that's why oh. I'm kind of throwing that out there. If her father had an art studio, then I could kind of see that. Yeah, like I mean, if you're thinking of like creative people, like yes. I, I get that vibe for the '70s. Yeah, and stuff I like do that. too, and yeah, I do too. And I guess I would consider a flower child as someone who's uncondi- unconventional, idealistic. That's what I think of. And the 1960s stereotype, I think, is... A woodstock. You, yeah. Well, you know, probably had... Uh, you know, would wear flowers in their hair. Yes. Wear yes. peace symbols and love beads and... Peace and love, not war type of stuff, you know? Exactly. And I don't know if hippie is synonymous with flower child, but I... That's, that's kind of what, what I think, think of. of. Yeah, like, that's what I've heard. I feel like that, that'll be a thing, like, interchangeable thing that you see in movies and, like media and stuff nowadays like whenever you think of flower child and stuff like that's just what i've heard at least yeah so i would assume that amy was a relaxed and happy young woman and free spirit free spirit and she was like i said last seen hitchhiking in a coconut grove um and she disappeared she never made it to her father's office mm-hmm. or art studio now twin brothers charles and larry glasser contacted amy's family shortly after her disappearance they claimed to have Amy and wanted $30,000 in ransom. Hmm. But, you know, no offense to, I mean, all the offense to them, because I hate them, if, <laughs> allegedly, if they, they were the ones that did this. But, um, you know, $30,000 for someone, like, in art and stuff? Like, I mean, you don't really think of art as synonymous with, like, having $30,000 or having a copious amount of money to spend. I don't know, just a little odd, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm sure the family would do anything to get the money, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, in 1974, that was a lot of money. That's shoot a lot of money now. I couldn't even imagine. I can't imagine that in my hands right now. Also, yeah, yeah. But uh, turns out the brothers didn't have Amy. Didn't know anything about her dif- dif- uh, disappearance. I'm sorry about that. I'm getting tongue tied today. <laughs> and they were arrested on for extortion. Mm. Good for the police. Good Thank for the goodness. police. I'm like, it's just so weird. I wonder why. I wonder if, you know, why they picked, you know, why are they the ones that are like, oh, you know, by the way, like already leading the police on different, like a different thing than they should be focusing on and like just, you know, diverting resources away from the actual investigation that needs to happen to find her. Like, I hate them for that. Yeah. And I guess these days probably people are charged with uh, some kind of crime whenever they do something like that. Obstruction yeah. of justice and yeah. stuff. Which I don't know back then if that happened other than the arrest for extortion, try, yeah. trying to get the ransom money. Mm-hmm. So local law enforcement uh, interviewed family, friends, neighbors, but no evidence was found as to what happened to Amy. Now, Susan wasn't waiting for law enforcement to provide answers, uh, so she was out investigating on her own, and she received tips shortly after the disappearance that Amy had been taken by members of a motorcycle gang the Outlaws or the Pagans. Mm. Both motorcycle gangs had been in the area at the time. Now, according to Unsolved Mysteries, a family friend who'd done legal work for one of the gangs arranged a meeting for two gang members and Ned and Susan. Mm. The gang members could only confirm other gang members had kidnapped young women in the past and sold them. They couldn't confirm Amy had been taken by gang members. Yeah, well, they don't They don't know who they take. They just take probably whoever's, you know, hitchhiking or whoever they see. Well, I would assume, you know, their pictures were shown. I, yeah. I would assume with Susan out uh, tracking down her daughter, she probably put 
pictures, pictures up all over the flyers. place. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's how she was starting to get these tips coming in. Well, good for her too, because I mean, like like we say, I think we take it for granted nowadays. It's like the social media age. You can just post a picture onto your, you know, social media and it goes viral. And that's what happens with a lot of the cases nowadays. She doesn't have the luxury of doing that then. She really has no. to be on the, yeah, kind of, you know, put, lace up her bootstraps or whatever and put, you know, just to hit the ground running. Yeah. Unless, uh, you know, a local news picks it up and runs with it. Yeah. I would yeah. say, and I'm sure they did, though I didn't see anything at the time. But I'm sure they did pick up on it. But uh, obviously, I would well, I say obviously, I would assume she's out putting up posters and flyers on her daughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so she tracked down the uh, the outlaws in Orlando three months after Amy's disappearance. In talking with people in the area, one convenience store manager claimed to have seen Amy with the bikers and mentioned she had bought vegetarian soup. Hmm. And Susan felt this was a confirmed sighting of her daughter because Amy was a con committed vegetarian and again this information comes from unsolved mysteries yeah it's so weird like i guess um at least from that too uh with the biker gang and stuff like that it kind of sounds like I, they let her out to buy soup like you know with I'm, I'm that's a little weird well i'm sure she was accompanied by, by some else. of the gang members but yeah so uh, you know at this point the thought is she's still alive yes yes okay in january of 1976 paul branch contacts susan now unsolved mystery says branch was an outlaw member while charlie project says he was a member of the pagans and i don't know i, I didn't look up the biker gangs i don't know if the two gangs maybe merged at some point mm. if they were one and the same and they were just using interchangeable names mm-hmm. i'm not really sure i didn't look that up but I, so i don't know why the differentiation there between unsolved mysteries and charlie project mm-hmm. but uh, he uh reached to Susan after seeing a picture of Amy in a newspaper. He said he had actually owned Amy at one point. Now, this is almost two years after Amy's disappearance. Owned. Like, that verbiage right there is just so disgusting. It is. Yeah, in many ways. Mm. Yeah. And he agreed to try to find the person who had Amy. He and Susan met in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to search for Amy in 1976. Amy was supposed to be delivered to them at a bar, but a fight broke out at the bar while they were there, and Paul was injured. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, Susan didn't see Branch again, but he told Susan's lawyer that Amy was in Seattle. So I don't know what happened there. Yeah. Uh, You know, why she wasn't dropped off, you know, was the fight... Because, staged yeah. i have no idea yeah it makes me wonder too like you know if maybe the fight wouldn't have broken out if they could have potentially gotten amy possibly i possibly. don't know i guess I, I hate to play what ifs like that because you never know that might have not ever been a plan to do that so yeah i don't like speculating yeah either, on that in late 1977 susan went to seattle now this was uh, after having a heart attack just months prior so oh she wow was, you know, obviously she was going to find her daughter, whatever it took. Come hell or high water. Exactly. And so she interviewed locals and several recognized Amy from pictures. Usually they were describing her as quiet, you know, not yeah. not having much to say at all, which I could understand that if she were with this gang, she'd probably been so intimidated and told, yeah. don't speak out. Exactly. And okay. like we've talked about before, you know, the gang members could have said, well, we know where your family is. You know, we can go hurt them if you yeah. try to escape, that kind of thing. Well, also, too, I mean, like, it, it's a whole gang versus one person. I mean, even if she was able to, like, get away or something like that, I mean, there's obviously going to be more than one person looking for her, which is scary and intimidating, especially for a woman. I mean, even nowadays. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. But again, uh, Susan couldn't find Amy. No mm-hmm. trace. 
In late 1979, Susan got another tip that Amy was in Reno, Nevada, and the FBI determined a biker gang had been in the area, but there was no additional information on Amy. Well, that is so weird. I just never would have thought about this little, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like a, like a, you know, sex ring kind of like for biker gangs or something as if it sounds like this is, you know, so or some weird trading, you know, ring within the biker gangs. Yeah, yeah. I That's mean, something I, I never have heard of or thought of, honestly. Yeah, I'm sure it's there. Yeah. And probably in a whole bunch of other different situations. Oh, yeah. But, not, not even just biker <clears throat> gangs, but in your day-to-day life, probably. Right, you know? right. So in 1992, 18 years after Amy's disappearance, Susan was contacted by private investigator Virginia Snyder. Uh, a British investigator had been approached by an American biker who wanted to sell an American girl. Hmm. No picture was provided, only a description. Uh, Susan felt the woman was Amy. Mm-hmm. by the description of the biker that was given to this British investi- investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan traveled to England but found no trace of Amy. And I, I couldn't find any information if Susan or the British investigator made contact with the American biker. Yeah. So I don't know what happened there in England once she traveled to to check that out. Uh, but the British investigator uh, unfortunately died shortly after, I think mm-hmm. within a, a year of, of reaching out to Virginia Snyder, the other private investigator. It sounds as if Susan missed her calling herself about like being an yeah. investigator. Yeah. Paul Branch re-enters the picture. In late 1997, Branch is on his deathbed. His widow claims he recants the story he had told Susan all those years ago. According to his widow, Amy was drugged, raped, and killed mm-hmm. by gang members shortly after being taken. Her body was dumped in the Florida Everglades. Mm -hmm. Uh, The family believes the story to the point that Susan actually holds a memorial service for Amy in 1998. But later the family has doubts as to the validity of the story. Uh, You know, this came from the widow, not from Paul Branch himself. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they now believe Branch's widow may have made the confession up for money. She was supposedly paid for her interview. Oh, they were, okay. Yeah, they were doing, someone was doing a documentary and supposedly paid her for the information. Money so, talks, money talks. Yeah. yeah, so thought it was a little bit suspicious that that was, you know, kind of timely, I yeah, guess. That, for sure. Like yeah. we said, like money is makes the world go round. So people are, you know, especially bad people are going to use any, uh, you know, anything to get money, I'm sure nowadays. So yeah. Yep. Now, while Susan is searching for Amy, the aim, the family is also receiving harassing phone calls by someone who claims Amy is being held by members of a sex ring. The FBI finally catches up with Henry Johnson Blair when he uses a cell phone to make one of his calls. Up until that point, he had been using uh, payphones. Oh, oh, okay. Yep. So Blair worked for the U.S. Customs Department. He said alcoholism and obsessive compulsive order uh, disorder caused him to make the calls. Now, okay, these calls went on for 21 years. Oh, my God. Beginning in 1974, the year Amy disappeared. And Blair wasn't caught until 1995. Hmm. And there were supposedly times that he called numerous times in one day. So hundreds of phone calls yeah. over these years. Mm. I mean, we're talking 21 years. So I, I don't know that I can buy the alcohol and, and obsessive, yeah, compulsive obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah, those excuses. No, I, no, I think there's something else definitely I wrong definitely there. I definitely do too. Yeah. He was sentenced to two years in prison. Uh, he was also sued by Susan, who received a $5 million settlement. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if she, if she would ever get like an actual ounce of that money. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't find that kind of information, but he did go to jail for that. 
And Henry Blair claimed to have no knowledge of Amy or her disappearance, but according to Unsolved Mysteries, he's considered a person of interest. Amy's camera was found at the Wildwood exit on Florida's Turnpike just after her disappearance. And the film was developed. A picture from the roll in the camera shows a white van, which was the same color and model as a van Blair was driving in 1974. Oh my God. Can you believe too, like the fact that someone would have had to find that little camera and like develop it and be like, Oh, like that's so crazy. Like I'm, God, I can't even process like something like that. Well, someone actually found it and turned it into the police. Good. Yeah. So that's how, that's how that changed hands. So that, and then they, they uh, processed the film and apparently a lot of the pictures were overdeveloped, but they did see that the picture of the van uh, that Blair was, you know, similar to what he was driving. One that they needed to see, they saw it. So good. Yeah. Now, Amy had written in her diary she was considering running away to South America with someone called Hank. Hmm. Hank was Henry's nickname. Blair's job was in the customs department, and he was required to move to South America around the same time as the journal entry. Hmm. Now, I, I can't find the exact exactly where Blair worked other than he was with the customs department. So I don't know if, if it's possible Amy could have met him. I don't know. And he was 48 at the time he was, uh, he was convicted and sent to jail. And that was in 96. So, so 20, I mean, he was, she, he would have been in his twenties, I guess. Yeah. I'm going to say, you know, I don't know what his birth date was or anything like that, but I'm going to say about 26. Yeah. When do Amy you think, disappeared. um, do you think, and how old was Amy at the time of her 17. Okay. So, so they I mean, weren't in college or high school or anything like that yeah, together. Yeah. Too much of an age gap. Yep. So not sure. I don't even know if that's a possibility, but it is kind of odd. And I, I could see someone making a few crank calls, but for 21 years. No, 21 years with hundreds of calls. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, think so. Yeah. So no wonder he's, you know, he was a person of interest. And yes. I don't know if he's, he's passed or if he's still alive, but mm-hmm. I could Certainly understand, see that. I could see that because that was just really, really odd. Yeah. And it, it just everything kind of like, I mean, and the fact that she had the picture of like a similar van and like the similar nickname. I mean, it all kind of does line up, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan wrote a book about Amy's disappearance and her search for Amy. And it's called Without a Trace, The Disappearance of Amy Billig, A Mother's Search for Justice. And it was co-authored with Greg uh, Anapur, I believe is the uh, pronunciation, mm-hmm. A-U-N-A-P-U. Okay. And now, Ned Billig passed away from lung cancer in 1992. Susan passed away in 2005, and she had searched for her daughter for 31 years. Mm. Now, according to Unsolved Mysteries, Amy's brother, Josh, continues to search for her. Yeah. Uh, Amy is Caucasian with brown hair and brown eyes. She has a two-inch appendectomy scar on her abdomen. At the time of her disappearance, she was wearing a denim miniskirt and cork platform sandals. Uh, according to Charlie Project, she may have been using, she may have been called by aliases while with the biker gang, uh, such as Mute, because she was always so quiet. Oh my goodness! I know that sounds that awful. Sounds just awful. the thought. Uh, Sunshine, little bits, and Mellow Cheryl. Mm. Ooh, Mellow Cheryl. Yeah, this is according to Charlie Project. Okay. Amy would now be 65. Oh, my goodness. 
And the fact, too, because, like, I think I've heard other stories, too, where, like, something similar, like a trafficking situation has happened. And, like, people, I remember there was a specific case on Crime Junkie where it was, like, a woman was suspected to be in the sex trafficking ring for, like, 40 or 50 years of her life. And I'm like, the fact that all of your life is dominated by that is just so disheartening and just terrible for the state of our world. And that's all I'm going to say on it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and she could very well still be out there. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. And, uh, of course, we'll have uh, the the sources will be in the show notes. A lot of it, like I said, came from Charlie Project, uh, Doe Network, and then uh, Unsolved Mysteries. But I also we'll have the Miami Police Department's number um, in case anyone saw anything back then or has seen something more recently that might connect with, with uh, Amy. And the police department's number is 305 579 6530. Rhonda, you're just getting so good at researching these things. I'm telling you. Sounds like a script. Well, thank you, Will. (laughs) Yeah, I did write a lot of stuff out. I'm not an off-the-cuff type person. Me neither now. I'm telling you, I try to have my scripts too. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. This is interesting as far as these stories and the huge number of people who are missing. Again, I don't have it pulled up, but I want to say... Charlie Project has over 14,000 yeah, missing, 14, yeah, missing people on it. And then, of course, when we were talking about the case the other day, um, and, Ant- and Antoinette, or Antoinette. Antoinette, yeah, where uh, there are over like 5,700 indigenous women and girls yep. who are missing. Um, a small city. I mean, I feel like as if uh, around where we have lived had had as little as that many occupants in it at the time, like, you know, 30 years ago. That's a small city yeah. of people that are missing or endangered. or And that's too many. That's five thousand over 5,000 too many. Yeah. And again, that, that was Antoinette Cayadito, I believe was yes, the correct pronunciation. That was right. That was right. Name. Uh, yeah, 5,700 missing indigenous women and girls. Okay, and then Charlie Project has 14,000. So I would assume not all the indigenous missing are on Our Charlie Project. Yeah. Because that's, that's like a good third, over yeah. a third of what would be on Charlie Project. Yes, and and one of the things, too, I don't know if y'all remember this. Do y'all remember going, like back when Walmart around here was a, a, a thing, you would go in and you'd see a board of all the missing people that they would yes. have in there, like in the yes. center of the way. The fact that that, too, like I used to think that, oh, okay, so these are probably the only missing ones around. Like, there's no telling how many. And I, I mean, I remember my mom used to tell me about all the milk cartons and things yeah. like that growing up that had children on the side of them back in the day, you know, when that was a big thing for schools. And I was just like, I, the fact there's so many missing people, you would never have enough resources to find all of them, much less report on all of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, I know there's a large number of people who go missing every day. Fortunately, a lot of them are found found. fairly quickly. Yes. Um, But yeah, there's a lot who aren't. And this is a case from 1974. And actually, I was thinking about doing a case. It's like the oldest case that's on Charlie Project. Oh, really? I think it's 19. 1910. Oh my God. I, it's early, early in the last century. I got to check and my I'm, newspaper app for things on that. Yeah, I uh, I might do that. Add that, tack that on to the end of one of our more recent uh, missing cases at some point. But Well, and the fact is, too, I mean, there's some of the shorter episodes are so short because we don't know so little about, you know, the cases that we're covering sometimes. And sometimes you only have like one or two sources for each case. And I'm like, you know, one or two sources for a person's life, someone who was alive for years and years and years it's just so sad like you know i wish more people got more coverage but i you know like we said it's kind of hard nowadays 
It is. Uh, yeah. And when you research some of these cases, a lot of times you're right, Will. It'll say so-and-so was last seen at this place wearing this and yep. maybe driving such and such vehicle and no additional information is available. And that's it. That's all you get. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But anyway, that wraps it up for me in this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Catch you next. And y'all don't forget. So we have share, eight other ep- share, 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 share. <laughs> oh, let me do throw one thing out. You know, we've this is what our our eighth episode. I, I think believe. Be, I believe so. I, yeah, I think eight or ninth. I think yeah, eighth. I think is. I think y'all are right. Yeah, and we've done a couple where like someone thinks they see something like again in the Antoinette, uh Kaidido, Kaidido. where the waitress after the the couple left and who she thought was Antoinette left also with them and then she found the note under the the plate yeah if you and and whenever she dropped uh, Antoinette or so the uh the person girl, she the, the girl the teenage yeah. girl dropped the fork and when the waitress handed it to her and she was squeezing the waitress's yeah. hand i'm gonna have to say and i don't have a, a catchy phrase for it but i would say if you see anything unusual say something you yeah. should say something you mean- because it could be something unusual exactly and you and don't be afraid to i've learned too. like growing up it's just like be rude to these people like i do not care like to anybody that's trying to maybe potentially get you or something like that like you do not you don't owe anybody anything if somebody's trying to get you to go somewhere or do something you don't want to do you don't owe anybody anything no. Yeah, I so, would agree. So especially you little ladies out there, y'all be careful. But men out there too. But you know, I'm just like just yeah. it's scary. It's a scary world out there. It is. Yep. But all right. Thank you guys. All right. Till next time.